You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on sight. The following podcast about film often contains foul language, discussions of an adult nature, and spoilers for the films discussed are to be expected. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight! Back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 193. I'm your host, Lee, has replaced the barbaric methods of medieval times, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel, Somnambulist's Prophecy. Harper, how are you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm going off to murder random people in my somnambulism. That's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what happens when I sleep for 23 years straight, certainly. I kind of question the the veracity of that claim uh, yeah. in the movie. Well, we'll get to there that. Are lots but... of, there are lots of uh, various uh, reasons to possibly question certain things. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we got some more silent movies to go through. And uh, i got to say, two pretty impressive ones this time out. You know, spoilers on my thoughts. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're... <laughs> two of the greatest films of the era. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, we're gonna do them together because, like, uh, why not? You know, yeah, sure. Uh, so we're gonna be looking at the cabinet of Doctor Caligari from 1920, and then we're gonna be looking at Haxon from 1922. Uh, but before we get into that, we do have two comments here. I'll quickly go through. Uh, these are both YouTube comments, by the way. All right, uh, all right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking. Sometimes we get good ones. Usually, it's just where the fuck is the movie? On our Laurel Lee's uh, Grasp episode, Metal Luna Zombie says, Yes, finally, found the full movie. Thank you so much, kind sir, for uploading it. Popcorn popping in the microwave, bag of toffees on my lap, big glass of cola, and I'm ready to hit play soon and enjoy this movie. So uh, I'm kind of thinking this might be one of our listeners. I think that's one of our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I finally found the movie. It's definitely the right length to be Lorelai's grasp. About to hit play on this. Click. Yeah. Part of me kind of hopes it isn't one of our listeners and someone <laughs> like was just so ecstatic. Yes, I'm going to get this movie. Yes, thank you so much. I'm going to comment and thank you. And then, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> that one wasn't even that hard to find, I don't think. No, was it? I think oh, it's yeah. on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. From one of our usual YouTube commenters, Shadowman4710 says uh, on our Vampires Lesbos episode, Mm -hmm. 74 dislikes. Don't tell me the Chuds actually thought they were going to get a lesbian vampire film uncut on YouTube. Well, yeah, some of them do. Some of them do, yeah. And honestly, I know know she killed an ecstasy was on YouTube, but only in 
but not not with an English uh, track. So yeah, I don't remember if Vampiros Lesbos was. I don't think it was. But I mean, if you know where to look, you can find plenty of nudity and sex and violence on YouTube that uh, they say they don't allow anymore. But <laughs> right. I've happened to had uh, Paul share me some of his private uh, YouTube playlists before. Oh, and, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, there's there's stuff that I don't think would even show up on Live Leak. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Lovely, lovely. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, you mean to you mean to tell me that the YouTube content moderation team is somewhat less than one hundred percent perfectly efficient? Yeah, they're... how dare you? How dare you suggest such things? Hot garbage would be kind of the the level I'd put them at, unless they're looking for stuff or whatever special interest that's paying the money. That's basically it. And uh, I'll just mention also uh, for any of you guys who are listening and following along. If you're not on the Facebook group, join the Facebook group, go there. Robert Ward this past week linked a bunch of alternate scores for silent movies. He uh, he linked the uh, James Bernard uh, Nosferatu score, which um, if you go to our Nosferatu episode, uh, our guest at the time there, Jack, mentioned how good that score is. And it is really good. He also linked uh, one for Joan of Arc from a band, I believe it's called Joan of Arc, and nice. uh, Phantom of the Opera and Trip to the Moon. So uh, there's there's some interesting stuff on there. And um, did the two uh, versions of the movies uh, we're watching tonight, did they have scores for you that you listened to? Or did you listen they to did. Silent? They did. Yeah. Yeah. They were both uh, both like really nicely restored versions, it looked like. Um, and mm-hmm. kind of easy to find on YouTube uh, with, you know, something like 50,000 views. So I uh, don't know how long they're going to stick around. So we can move along now. Uh, I've got nothing that I've watched recently to talk about, but uh, I know you watched something. So... Uh... I'll just let you take over. Yeah, so I uh, bit the bullet and I uh, went ahead and watched this movie. It's kind of obscuring my Joker. The Joker, <laughs> I think it's called. <laughs> anyway, you were talking about it last week and uh, I really had nothing to say and I'd been waiting to see it. So I figured uh, we could take a few minutes and, and talk about it and complete your thoughts from last week, this week, uh, now that I've actually seen it and we can mm-hmm. uh, uh, briefly discuss it. We could do a whole episode on this. There's a lot to say yeah. about it. But there's also kind of not. Our good friend Kit Power, friend of the pod, is going to be very upset at me when I say this is such a thoroughly mediocre film that has been like, it's been both overly hated and Mm -hmm. for really bad reasons. And it's been dramatically overpraised. Like this is, this is, (laughs) you know, it's entirely mediocre on every possible level. You know, yes, Joaquin Phoenix is a great actor. I think uh, the like method Joker stuff that everybody's kind of praising him for is like way overdone. I think he's fine in the film. I mean, I think he's good in the film, but mm-hmm. he's much better in other films. Uh, yeah. Ultimately. Todd Phillips, is, you know, he directs it fine. Uh, there's perfectly fine cinematography, all that sort of thing. But ultimately, like, that's built on, like, we're going to make it look like a very serious movie. And therefore, it is a serious movie, right? You yeah. Know? I don't know. The, the whole, like, you know, we're going to watch a movie about a guy who's got mental illness and, like, how society shits on him. And then uh, he's going to turn violent in the end. I understand it's sort of playing with that trope and subverting it to some degree. And certainly by making him the Joker, it sort of like adds a thematic depth if you want to count it. But it's also like a really tired thing that I'm just tired of seeing in movies. Yeah. Um, it would make the film much more compelling if the Joker was not, did not have a neurological disease and was, you know, and actually decided to do the things that he does for, you know, more uh, coherent philosophical reasons or whatever, you know, like it's, it's just, it's just kind of a, I don't know. Like it's. I don't know. I have so many issues with this. I could kind of sit down and talk about this for an hour, but we're not going to. No. It's, it's just kind of. I don't even want to say it's frustrating. Like it's fine. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it, it does the thing. 
it reminds me a lot of American Psycho of kind of being like <sighs> it's got some stuff in its head, yeah. but it can't quite execute a lot of its ideas, and it's and it's kind of like beholden to a certain. I think American Psycho is better than this, although I mm-hmm. don't much care for American Psycho. I think like that's got some 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 interesting ideas whereas this i don't know it's just i don't know it, it just uh it left me very cold um i've seen it once i might revisit it just to kind of check on it but uh really um i don't even want to say disappointing because i had no like big expectations on it. yeah it, it feels to me exactly like um what sort of the dark knight has become where it's like everyone praised that movie when it came out including myself uh, I, I was swept up like, oh, this amazing Heath Ledger performance and uh, all this cool action. And it's the it's the adult serious version of Batman. But you know what? They say that with every Batman movie, too. Uh, with, with Tim Burton's Batman, everyone was like, oh, this is the super serious version of Batman. When you look at that now, it's like that's only like a couple steps away from Adam West. Like it's not that far away. And especially the sequels. They just go right back to Adam West territory. But yeah, I just, I felt like, yeah, no, it's a well-made movie. It's got great performances. It treats mental illness in the way movies tend to treat mental illness, which is just kind of, well, that's kind of lame and kind of lazy. And I didn't, and it's like, oh, he's got this tick that he's makes got him. He's lost his Marvel's-itis, you see. Yeah. And he's, you know, he, he, he bumped his head. So now he laughs uncontrollably. I mean, that's, yeah, I. It just, I was half expecting him maybe to like bump his head again and like be cured of it. And then, then the whole, then the real pathology would be like down the line. It's like, (laughs) now he just does it because he's crazy. Like, you know, or, or it's part of his character or some shit. Like, I I don't know. It's just, I, it, it, the more I think about it, the more I dislike it a bit more, honestly. And I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think it's a lot of bad people like it for really bad reasons. And a lot of good people like it for bad reasons too. They're just seeing so much in that movie. That's not there. I I think, but uh, that's just me. But (laughs) yeah. And uh, that is uh, with apologies to Kit power who, you know, I think, you know, I listened to most of, he did a two part podcast episode about Joker. um, And I did not get to finish that before. Uh, I was just busy this week and didn't have a chance to finish it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know he um and his and his, and his uh, one of his buddies are, are like kind of deeply into the sort of, sort of the ambiguity of the film and the fact that it's sort of like well is it real is it not you know kind of it sort of plays with genre in in, in a kind of particular way and you know i am perfectly willing to accept that you know as mm-hmm. is a, you know kind of a valid way of viewing the film and if that's what you got out of it i'm not going to argue with that um i'm just kind of deeply bored with that whole concept yeah. um we're going to get into this in a few minutes. So we get to the <laughs> cabinet of Dr. Caligari and say like, gee, this was being done in uh, 1921, 1920. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, maybe we can, maybe after a hundred years, we can uh, move on from that plot. It's like, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the Joker. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll do a whole episode on it. If Kit wants to come on and like castigate us for being um, ridiculous. <laughs> I know he has uh, <laughs> defended this film quite vocally and at times to people. So uh, we, we might catch his ire, but uh, I think, you know. I think he literally like mutes his Twitter when people get really like particularly angry about Joker. Like oh. I mean, he's actually like soft blocked people on Twitter for, like specific bad takes. I don't think that he, I think that he would understand this as a kind of right. reasonable, but you know, a lot of the like, well, it's, it's kind of lending, lending credence to kind of like alt-right ideology. That sort of yeah. Thing. It's not really doing that. I mean, it's, I mean, it's relationship to that kind of topic is complicated and I don't want to get into it here, but um, 
yeah it's it's its own it's it's there's a lot of like really ignorant people um making really stupid takes about this film as well um and i, and yeah. I want to also highlight that and not give any oxygen to that stuff but yeah i think yeah. we can move on <laughs> yeah so uh we're gonna take a break we're gonna play a little bit of music and we're gonna come back with uh, the cabinet of dr Kiligari. Hello there. My name is Matt, and I'm a humble court bailiff in a courtroom designed to bring musical justice to all. Each week, we have a podcast with a judge and a jury, and we determine whether a song is guilty, not guilty, or not guilty by reasons of insanity. You know, something like, uh... Or maybe it's a cover of Tom Petty. You can find us wherever you find podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, all that stuff. Just look for songs on trial, please. Okay, I love you. Make good choices. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari from 1920, directed by uh, Robert, I'm going to say Ween? 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 Who was a Jewish writer-director. Like a lot of people in these two productions, uh, well, this production particularly, sort of fled Germany after the Nazi rise to power in the 30s. Uh, I wonder why. I wonder why. 
This is, you know, I can't look at this film and go, well, this guy's clearly going to have to flee in about 13 years. <laughs> <laughs> so he's also known for doing uh, an adaptation of Crime and Punishment, uh, The Hands oh, of Orlac, and Panic in Chicago also looked interesting. I was just sort of like picking through his uh, vast filmography. <laughs> like he's got like, I think, 65 writing credits and like 45 movies or something like that. So, you know, he had a few I, things under his belt. <laughs> rewatching this this evening, I am definitely interested in seeing his Crime and Punishment, actually. Mm. It is starring Werner Cross as Dr. Caligari, Conrad Veidt, who may come up again in uh, future films we do, yes. uh, as a Caesar. And he was also in the hands of Orlac and The Man Who Laughs, which is on our list, uh, Thief of Baghdad. Frederick Fur as Francis, Lil Dagover as Jane Olson, Hans Heinrich as, oh, Hi- Jesus, Hans Heinrich von Twardowski as Alan. Jesus, enough names, dude. Rudolf Lettinger as Dr. Olson. And we have a synopsis here from the always dependable Gary KMCD, who pops up in this a lot. <laughs> At a fair in the village of Hostenwall, which uh, makes me think, hole in wall. I didn't go and see if that's what that actually translates to, but (laughs) Dr. Caligari obtains a permit to set up his tent show featuring Caesar, the 23-year-old sonambulist who has slept for 23 years. Francis and his friend Alan visit the popper show, and Alan asks Caesar for his trance-like state to tell him his future. Caesar predicts that he will die that night, and when Alan is in fact found dead in the morning, it seems to be just one of many such crimes recently. Francis is determined to find out his his friend's killer, uh, all the more so after Caesar tries to kidnap his fiance. He follows him to an insane asylum, but not all is as it seems. And yeah, that's very true. (laughs) Well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, is there anything other, any pretense I want to get in here? No, actually, we should just jump into it, other than this is probably one of the... German expressionist films. When when people think of German expressionism, they like, oh yeah, Caligari, and they say that. Yeah, so this is this is like the definitive example of you could show this. I mean, you could show us, you know, a single frame of this film, almost any frame of this film, and go, that's German expressionism in a in like one image. Um, yeah. You know. um, did the version of this you watch was? Uh, I assume you watched on YouTube, right? Yes, I watched it on YouTube. Yeah. Um, um, was it the one that actually had the still? It still had the German title cards and you just had to put on the the closed captioning no mine uh mine had the english version oh really um, okay yeah, mine had the the english version but like in the in the style of the uh, of the old school ones oh okay um, and with you know full tenting and so i think there i think they did like a version like a criterion edition a couple of years mm-hmm. ago or something uh, they had some kind of special release where they did where they translated the titles and kind of did you know made them the way they did them in in the, the original german so um yeah that's that's the version i watched Right on. Um, I, I will say the the version I did watch, like you can actually rent this on YouTube as well. But the version I watched was the movie. I think the versions run from about uh, most of the ones you see these days. Anyway, run from about an hour fifteen to an hour seventeen. Uh, so that's that's kind of that's kind of the thing. And um, the one I watched, it still had the German title cards and the translation that YouTube actually gives you, it's like one of those ones where they actually tried and integrated it in. So it's actually really good. So if you want to watch that one. So uh, what do you think of this, Daniel? Um, I've seen this one before. It's obviously one of the great uh, classics of the, of the, of the genre. I love, I mean, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) 
it's got the uh i mean first of all you can't just to, just to begin with this you can't get away from talking immediately about how gorgeous this film is mm-hmm. how visually striking how unique this film is just in the way it looks you know i've seen quite a bit of like german expressionism i've seen quite a bit of you know kind of noir stuff i've seen you know uh, I feel like this is a film that stands out. Like you can watch thirty seconds of this and go, "Oh yeah, I know." I'm watching uh, the Captain of Doctor Caligari. Yeah, it just is its own thing. This is one where um, the score really works with the film, and it does kind of show what <laughs> you know. We've kind of, I've kind of been like kind of playing around with listen, watch the, with and without scores, and mm-hmm. kind of seeing what the effect is. I can't imagine watching. Actually, I'll say this for for both of these films. I can't imagine watching either of these films without the score. Yeah. Um, the score itself is like just just listening to it without even watching the film is this deeply unsettling kind of dissonant tones um you know i'm not sure exactly when this one uh was made but it, but it's got a, a ton of go ahead go ahead i was just going to say i think we listened to the same one it, it sounds like um sounds like a tom waits b-side or something like that right, right. <laughs> it has a lot of that kind of stuff going on so i'm imagining it's it's a little bit more modern than 19 the, in the 1920 yes. um but it is that's why that's why you do that sort of thing that's why you know is to is to kind of sell the 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 effect of the film um so the version of this uh, that i watched the with the score it is uh it is absolutely just like you know fingernails on a chalkboard in like the best possible way mm-hmm. actively makes me uncomfortable uh to watch this film uh with that with that uh, accompaniment performances are kind of kind of across the board very good we're getting away from that you know kind of perils of pauline kind of big you know faces yeah. and you know that sort of stuff uh we're getting into uh, something that looks a little bit more naturalistic ah, you know i don't want to say realistic but naturalistic um despite the fact that it's in this kind of surreal like proscenium stage kind of world like it really looks like something that you know you could put on a it looks like a stage set basically but it looks like a stage set that you get to you like cut around in and do you know so so it is something that can only exist in in the film uh format it can only exist on film and it can only really exist as a silent film yeah Uh, i mean it takes full advantage of everything that it's that it has at its disposal and uses it to almost the, the, the greatest possible effect. I think the weak part here is, is kind of the story. And I don't think that that's a, that's a problem with the film. I think that's a problem of, you know, we've just kind of seen this over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's effective. I think it's well done. I think that it, it actually has a lot to, <laughs> you know, the fact that the, the, the somnambulist plot uh, doesn't last the entire film. The fact that that's yeah. really only about fifteen or twenty minutes of of the thing that that you know we're kind of introduced to Caligari. He kind of does the the circus uh, sideshow tent thing. Kind of he kind of does his bit, a really effective bit of uh, performance and uh, you know editing. And when uh, you know when the guy kind of wakes up and uh, you know that's something that always kind of you know I'm always kind of I'm always kind of reminded of just how creepy that is every time I, I think about the film. But then, like, that kind of plot ends fairly soon. And then mm-hmm. we're basically kind of following Caligari around as, uh, you know, and it almost becomes a detective story to, to, to a yeah. degree. And I, and I like the fact that we don't, like, watch, like, multiple murders. You've got this kind of, like, red herring uh, kind of situation happening with this uh, other guy who gets accused of the crime. But it turns out he's not the one responsible. And Although he is a murderer. <laughs> he is a murderer. Right, right. I only <laughs> killed I only killed the one woman, okay? Like, I, I didn't kill these other people, you know? And I was and I was going to kill this old woman because I was hoping they'd just blame it on this new murderer. So right, right. you know, I mean that that is that is a little bit of like a filmmaking conceit where yeah. you know I mean you know, obviously they they do that even now where you know they they confess right now so that we can kind of move on with the plot. 
you know, I think nowadays you would, you know, they'd lock him up and then there like another murder would happen. And then the grizzled old cop has to go like, ah, oh, well, it turns out we don't have the serial killer here. I guess we're going to have to, you know, like do that. Or it's all an elaborate serial killer game, like at seven or some shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to get caught so I could fuck with you some more. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you get the, the framing device at the end where, you know, it ends up being like, and then we were all in an insane asylum sort of thing. So, you know, overall, I mean, again, it is kind of one of those, I mean, I hate to kind of like shit on the predictable plot because i think it's predictable again because it's been mm-hmm. like just kind of overused but it is kind of harder to, to recommend to a modern viewer on that particular stance although on every other conceivable level this is like top notch a plus like you know you can this is a silent film you could set somebody in front of and say you know, just enjoy the movie you know yeah but, you could argue this is an animated film almost like in the, in the same sense as like uh, who framed Roger Rabbit where you got like live actors and then you got like genuine sort of like animation almost in the background at some points, uh, or at least it looks that way because it kind of looks like the most well detailed charcoal drawings come to life in like animation, almost the way it's designed. Well, they're literally like drawing like streaks of light onto mm-hmm. pieces of the set. And so it's lit, but then like it's drawn on there, and so it kind of gives this kind of unreality. It gives us this kind of sense of you're both in you're both in a physical space and out of a physical space. You say it looks like a like a char a charcoal drawing, and I, I don't disagree. It, parts of this film look like paper mache to me. Like it looks like this this you know kind of some of it is around and some of it is paper mache, yeah. right? But it looks like they're kind of walking around in this fantasy world, and I think that that serves the slightly. Um, uh, you know, kind of fairy tale like uh, narrative that we're kind of given here. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that in the original script there were references to things like you know, like radio and and, and movies and that sort of thing. But then all that got cut out before the uh, before the final cut, um, specifically to kind of like uh, set the film in this kind of like nether no man's land of you know no particular time and place. Yeah, it's it's interesting because going on the sort of thread of uh, twist in this plot. So our, our two writers uh, for this, I don't believe I even mentioned them when I did the credits, unfortunately. Uh, Carl Mayer and Hans uh, Janowitz came together to write this. Both pacifists, they were like deeply affected by World War One, apparently. Uh, and it's sort Some of, of that in- seems to be kind of a self-reflexive hagiography, like, mm-hmm. after, like because I think a lot of those... Like I was, I did a little bit of reading on this, and it seems like some of the we wrote this about our experiences in World War One might be like. Um, well, I don't think either um, one of them were actually in World War One. I. I think they got um, they got out of the army, like to get rejected right. or whatever or whatever. But from what I understand, doing some reading in this, that plot twist wasn't in the original version of their script that they did. Like it, apparently, uh, before. Uh, they brought on the director they use. They were in talks to get Fritz Lang uh-huh. to direct this, and he couldn't do it because he had another project going. But he apparently made some suggestions on the script, is at least some of the stories I've I've read here. And so there, there's a lot of back and forth. Yeah, this. Like, let's, let's just put it that way. There's a lot of argument about like mm. who said what, and you know, because it is like one of the legitimate classics, and so much of the actual documentation was lost. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that there was a framing story, but it was a different framing story. Yeah, and that uh, you know the the director kind of putting putting a particular spin on it of like it was supposed to be about this, and I was upset that they added this. Yeah, now that we've actually seen the script long after that guy is dead, uh, it sounds like you were kind of bullshitting us all along. Some of that, you know. So. Yeah, the, the the story I read, and I mean, it could just totally be bullshit, but um, apparently, 
a version of the script finally showed up in the 50s or something like that, that they thought it was lost. And it was one of the original scripts before they did the rewrites. And uh, it wasn't so much a framing story as it was like in, in the way the movie is now, you get the pro you get the, uh, the, the sort of prologue, which is our main character telling the story back and flashback to somebody. And then you get the twist at the end in the epilogue. Apparently what, the original version of the script was supposed to be was you got him telling the story at a dinner party to somebody and then it gets into the main story and there isn't a twist at the end. The actual story is that Caligari actually was driven, was, you know, the head of the asylum, but he was driven insane and he was like trying to like recreate these murders that were done in Italy or something like that from years ago. So, and I mean, that's an interesting version of this movie I'd like to see too, where it's just that, right? But um I mean either way, I think this is great. I think the designs of everything are they're unnerving. Like they're not right. They're uncanny. Like even though, yes, there are shadows, there are there are panes of light and stuff twisting down staircases. Like like literally what the the staircase in the asylum has this like light, this little spots of light going up the steps, which is great. Um <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, it doesn't it doesn't conform to reality either way. The light wouldn't work that way on those steps, uh, given what we're seeing, and it just goes to make the f- film even more weird. Like it's even like no, there's something really wrong here. And the fact that the rewrites sort of go towards oh, this is all in his mind. It just makes everything more claustrophobic and twisted, and and more just the mind of a unreliable narration you know right, that, right. Uh, and uh i love it it's great yeah i mean i find that it works better like if i'm not like caring about whether this is real or not it works better mm-hmm. as an experience and as a sort of like like a like i don't want to say so sort of, sort of like like logicking through but but sort of sort of an emotional journey that you're kind of going on with the with the film right and um it's not meant to be something that we're supposed to sort of pick apart on quite that level right um, but you're right. Like a lot of the, like, you know, the fact that light just doesn't work that way, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's a sign that like physics just doesn't work the way we expect it to here. And, you know, one of the things that is interesting to kind of think about when, when we're talking about particularly Germany of this period now, a, we're, we're just, you know, a year or two out from the end of world war one, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> and that, that obviously has a huge impact on everything that's kind of happening in this, in this time and place. But Germany itself had only existed for like fifty years at this point, like as a as a unified, yeah, know, kind of political entity. I mean, and so there are people on screen in this film, and there are people sort of making this film who like would have remembered before Germany was a thing, you know. And uh, the political instability was rife through the whole era. I mean, you know, we're mm-hmm. it's, you know we kind of you know at least i don't know maybe 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 not you maybe maybe i'm kind of telling on myself we kind of think that like there there's this kind of myth that these european countries you know have existed for centuries before you know that that germany now is but but it's just not true i mean germany is you know a very like kind of kind of recent latecomer to the whole idea of nationalism you know just having been through this uh world war which was uh you know you know nationalism wrought into imperialism and then they lost yeah. and they were you know they were they were being you know kind of crushed by the by the other powers of europe weimar is kind of uh kind of on the on on the upswing and you know you're kind of getting into that you know that that 
that new era, this this kind of golden age in, in a sense. And um, I think it's easy to see this kind of like trepidation kind of happening about exactly kind of what's happening in our society and what have we what have we gone through. And um, maybe that's a little bit, um, you know, kind of looking forward um just a little bit because we we know where this is going to end in a few years right yeah um but i think there is a sense of you know i, th- I think it's it's slightly unfair to say like you can see the stirrings of hitler in this i th- i don't think that that's something that that's really here i know that it seems some, convenient to say there are, some, there are some kind of uh i mean when you look at something like M, you can absolutely see you know that's something that's directly responding to, the, to that yep. particular moment um, this film still has all of Weimar to get through, but I think you can see the the kind of anxiety around World War One, even if it's not quite as um, direct as I think some uh, some people kind of want to say, like, oh, this is a response, like a direct response to like authority figures sending men out to kill and that sort of thing. Well, if that's kind of what the film was about, I think it would be a bigger part of the film. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, we would get kind of more of a soldier's attitude. I mean, this is this is more of like. You know, it's it's almost more like like a Jack the Ripper kind of kind of figure, um, you know. So yeah, I don't know. I have complicated feels about like kind of kind of the way that people interpret this. I think that it it does get overinterpreted and kind of overindulged as a as a kind of a, a literary device. When I think what it should be seen as is is a, a, an emotional like kind of kind of filmic experience, uh, kind of kind of of its own nature. I feel like that whole, oh, this is highly political and like really criticizing authority in Germany and stuff after World War One. I, I, th- I think you're right. Like, it, it seems like there's so very little of that in here that it's like, it, it doesn't seem like that's the main thrust of it. Like, yes, it, it does criticize authority in some ways. Like, there's, there's abuses of power in here that, you know, there, there's the, uh, the bureaucrat desk clerk or whatever who gives Caligari shit before he gives him a permit to to have his show or whatever, right? <laughs> right yeah. Yeah. And but well, it, he gives him a shit, but he still gives him permission to have the show. Yeah. And starts the fucking plot of the film. Yeah. That bureaucrat <laughs> is the real villain here. You, know? <laughs> you can just not giving this guy his fucking permit. Like mm-hmm. none of this would have happened, you dickhead. He would have mo- he would have moved on to the next town and murdered people there. Like he you know, people in another town. Yeah, that's how. Yeah. It is. But I mean, yeah, it, it seems like it's more interested in being kind of lurid and like maybe talking about aberrations in society. Like, you know, I mean, they still, you know, we, we talked about this before. They didn't have the term serial killer. They didn't know what the fuck a serial killer was, but there were people out there preying on people. And yeah. I think it touches into this a little bit, you know, the like what makes people like that tick? Like, what would they have to be to be so fucked up that they, you know, stalk around the streets at night murdering people and shit and like just throwing that sort of uh, somnambulist idea into it is interesting. And I mean, honestly, it, it's th- this film's real value comes out of just how influential it is too. like just image wise uh, for films to come after this. I mean, that somnambulist Conrad Veidt there as uh, Caesar I mean that that's straight up like a Romero zombie, really. When you when you get down to like the makeup and everything, uh, and it's it's great. Like I, I'm just looking at this movie. I'm like I've seen that in a million other things. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. And this is uh, I mean this is arguably I think I think a lot of people would argue this is the first horror movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's definitely a horror movie. Like right, it, it definitely is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. But is it the first? I mean I think I think uh, you know. It is. It is. I think. I think there are others who would kind of like kind of quote other things. Ahead yeah. Of it, but it's certainly, arguably, the first. 
so. maybe the oldest surviving. I don't know. I, I think there might there might have been like a vampire movie or something like that before this. Like you know, because this predates even Nosferatu. Yeah, but you know, year, so yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'd have to I'd have to actually do some research on that. But um, yeah, that's not. I what mean, we do here. No, <laughs> it, it's probably the most notable one. Anyway, it's the one everyone remembers. Cool. So, yeah, no, yeah. Let's have anything to say other else to say. I just I'll throw into That's tribute. Great. Yeah, no, yeah. go ahead. I mean, sorry to sorry to kind of like you know, you know, I feel like we're damning with faint praise. It's mm. like you know, we're like oh, this is amazing. Watch it. It's Captain of Dr. Caligari. You know what do you want me to say? <laughs> <laughs> You you may know it from Rob Zombie's Living Dead Girl video. Yeah, yeah well, that's that's certainly the uh, the superior version of this. Ultimately, mm. Rob Zombie directed music video. <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so apparently, the story is partially inspired by a circuit sideshow the two writers visited in Berlin called uh, Man or Machine, in which a man performed feats of great strength after becoming hypnotized. Quote unquote. Mm. Uh, yeah. A lot of the stylistic choices here, even though they were sort of intended, a lot of them were also just out of necessity. So the final look and feel of this film is based as much on low-budget practicalities as it was you know, its own creative inspiration and expressionism. Uh, electricity was strictly rationed in post-World War One Germany at the time. They couldn't do lighting, so they had to paint the lighting on the sets. That's what they had to do. And... And they shot all. They don't this have in... electricity. You got some paint over there, boy. Give yeah, some... <laughs> you just paint it on. Just paint it on. The audience can't tell the difference. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so like you know, they're shooting on very confined sets here. Uh, there's, you know, there's. I don't think there's a damn out, outdoors shot at all. I think it's all no. sets. So they did. They did that, and like their camera angles are basically painted on the backdrops. Like, there's your camera angle right there. <laughs> Uh, and the sets were made out of paper. Like six meter by six meter um, uh, filming studios. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's like less than 20 feet by 20 feet. I mean, that's like nothing if we're trying to film yeah. with any kind of with any kind of scope. And I mean, you look at this and, and it's hard to it's hard to, you know, it, it does not. I mean, it both feels that, but it doesn't, you know, like like you can like, right. sort of see. I mean, particularly like the shots in the village, like in the in the in the stuff with the. um where the uh, where, where the carnies kind of like you know outside the the carnival tent and that sort of thing, there is this you know like the like there's some like spinning things and there there there's yeah. this kind of motion always happening, but you can kind of see the little like a little sidewalk that the people are kind of walking down and it, again it is this very there's a sense of like this clear artificiality, but it it also feels very lived in and real in the sense mm-hmm. despite that like it, it's kind of weird dichotomy um in terms of uh, the way yeah they it's it's interesting to carnival like they use the same town this this far away point of view shot of the town right so it's like this carnival is set up like miles out of the town <laughs> <laughs> and the town's way down there on the, on the mountain and then you have all these people like some are going up some are going down almost like in escalators or something like that and it gives this weird uh both artificial but very visceral field of depth where it's like, yeah, this kind of looks like there's actually a carnival happening somehow, some weird way. Yeah. When this was first released in the United States, uh, the film was only in black and white with none of the color tinting uh, and played back many scenes at double speed and featured different music. So it only clocked in at about 51 minutes, 
<laughs> which man, that sounds like it sucks. And the restored version, which is basically what we watched, is color tinted, restores the original title cards, plays the film back at regular speed, uh, returning it to its regular 69 minute running time. And this has been remade several times in several different forms. Uh, there was a cabinet of Dr. Kilgari in 1962, and I had to look this one up. Basically, it just reuses the gimmick of, wow. oh, she was in an insane asylum all along, kind of. And the doctor's called Caligari. But other than that, the plot's like totally different. There was a movie called The Cabinet of Dr. Ramirez in 1991, a film called Dead by Dawn in 2004. And then they remade Dr. Caligari in 2005, where they put all the sets on a green screen. And then they had new actors acting out in front of the green screen uh, with the, the old sets in the background, which sounds interesting. I kind of want to check that out. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. Uh, I really yeah. wish Werner Herzog had made a version of this uh, alongside his uh, Nosferatu. Yeah, you, you kind of, like, yeah, that, I'm kind of wondering, well, I'm, I'm trying to rearrange in my mind why he wouldn't want to do that. Maybe there's no one want to give him the money. I don't know. <laughs> or he had another project to do instead. <laughs> he had to make a, he'd make another film about like a dwarf who skis or something like that. And it's like, uh, what, what, you know? Yeah. I, I plan on getting through most of his filmography at some point. Like I've only seen sort of like the key films and then he's got all these interesting documentaries and stuff that is like, mm. I need to get to those, but <laughs> can, we, can we get uh, Herzog to do it now? Like could, could we could could if Vernon Herzog if you're listening, please remake Captain of Dr. Caligari and he'll be like, I should only do it if I can put Baby Yoda in it. <laughs> Baby Yoda, the, it's Caligari, the cabinet of Baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if that's the deal with the Star Wars money, he got he's got to put Baby Yoda in his next film. Hey, sometimes you got to pay the devil his due. Uh, there, Herzog, you know, this, <laughs> it's the baby Yoda that comes out of the coffin and he, he stabs the man. <laughs> and all the universe is meaningless. <laughs> mm. And at some point, someone gets eaten by a bear. And, you know, yeah. I can't show this to you. <laughs> I can't play the audio. It is too horrible. <laughs> Okay, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back with Haxon. I can hear one shot in every way. 
right, Haxon from 1922, also known as Haxon Witchcraft Through the Ages, or uh, The Witches, I think, is also called it in some corners here. Directed by uh, Benjamin Christensen and written by him, and he stars as the devil in this. Ella Lacour as Sorceress Karna, uh, Emmy Schoenfeld as Karna's assistant, Kate Fabian as the old maid, Oscar Striebolt as Fat Monk, Wilhelmine Hendrickson as Aplone, uh, Astrid Holm as Anna, Elizabeth Christensen as Anna's mother, Karen Winther as Anna's sister, uh, Marin Penderson as the witch. What witch? There's a ton of witches in this. Uh, <laughs> some of these credits baffle me. Joannes Anderson as a Peter Henrik witch judge. And uh, which judge was that? Who's on first? Um, uh, I'll stop now. And Gary K. MCD comes again uh, with another synopsis here. Part history lesson followed by reenactments with actors. This film depicts the history of witchcraft from its earliest days through to the present day, in this case, 1922 or thereabouts. The result is a documentary-like film that must be among the first to use reenactments as a visual and narrative tool. From pagan worship to satanic rites to hysteria, the film takes you on a journey through the ages with highly effective visual sequences. Again, kind of spot on. <laughs> There's some deeper stuff going on, we, but I mean... We need, a... we need to find some dumber uh, people to write uh, synopses for these so that we mm. can laugh at them and correct them. But no, that's spot on. Agreed. You're good, Gary. I hope you're still alive. I hope you're still writing synopsis. That's all I have to say, because th these could be from like, you know, 1997 or some shit or whatever. <laughs> um... Yeah, so this is notable for at the time being the most expensive uh, Swedish film ever made, I guess. Yeah, it was um, the most expensive Swedish film of the silent era. Yeah, uh, like it, every it, dollar of that is on, or every krona of that is, I, on, is on. Yeah, it's, it's like a couple thousand kroners or whatever. And because <laughs> it took like years to make, it took like three years to make or something like yeah. that. So. And you can see it. You can definitely see it. <laughs> I'm, I'm still amazed. I, I rewatching this tonight. I was fucking amazed by the stuff I was seeing on this. It's like, yeah. So uh, just let's get into it, Daniel. What do you think of this one? <laughs> uh, between this and uh, within our gates from last week, I mean, I'm having a really great couple of weeks at the movies. Honestly, mm -hmm. uh, this is uh, uh, almost certainly going to be in my top ten list this year. Uh, nice. This is the first time watch for me. I watched it this evening. I will definitely be watching this again. Um, this is, again, I, I said it with Caligari. I believe it with Caligari. I mean it even more with this. You could sit somebody in front of this without, like, you know, the fact that it's a silent movie, the fact that it's, like, in Swedish with, like, English subtitles, mm -hmm. um, the fact that it's from 1922. Uh, I, I, think, I think you could sit this in front of it. Like, you could put this in front of an audience and they would get a whole lot out of this. It reminds me strangely of F for Fake as much as any film that we've talked about yeah. um because it is a, it's a personal essay it's a personal essay uh -huh. kind of weird form that this guy is taking where i mean it's literally like the filmmaker speaking directly to the audience through the title cards and like kind of piecing together an argument about um the history of witchcraft like you mm -hmm. know when you first kind of hear the title and you just kind of go, oh, it's got to be kind of like an early horror film from Sweden. Okay, that's going to be cool. I'm looking forward to seeing that. But it's not that at all. I mean, it is in a way a horror film, but it's a mm -hmm. horror film about, you know, the oppressive authority figures, you know, in the in the church of the 15th century, uh, torturing people 
uh, for information, the way that the, the kind of witch hunt hysteria um, spread around. And it's just kind of like, it's got this dry, sardonic wit about the, the the way that these kind of religious authorities, you yeah. know, it's like, and then wherever these men went, a scourge of witches followed. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder funny how that works, you know. The, the witches in this are uh, are the sympathetic figures. And then it, then it kind of ends with this kind of commentary about mental illness. And, you know, like, these women are just being hysterical. And it's like, um, maybe 1922 was not the top of the line in terms of a discussion of mental health issues, but it's certainly sympathetic here. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it does not treat this in, in, with kind of a lack of sympathy. It is kind of like, oh, well, they're, they're, she's just hysterical. This poor woman is going to steal because she's hysterical. And what's the treatment for hysteria in 1922? It was uh, a nice shower. It was it was a nice shower. And uh, in real life, this is the invention of the vibrator, people. Like this is what happened. <laughs> These women had, need orgasms. Is what... Doctors and midwives. This is a little bit earlier. But yeah, doctors and midwives like walking into expensive drawing room. <laughs> the fainting couch is literally like women would lie down <laughs> and like have their nether regions manipulated by hand or by mechanical object. Yeah. So they just felt better about their life. <laughs> yeah. you, know, like, you just gotta make things happen. Um anyway. <laughs> so there is there is uh and, and the film does not seem to uh to quite get that concept i don't think I, I don't think it's quite leaning there but it certainly is a modern viewer you can kind of like kind of go and, and then even this film is not quite uh getting getting exactly what's at stake here yeah um, but it is it is very much about patriarchy and it's very much about like this kind of system in which women who are perfectly reasonable people who have, you know, kind of a missing eye or who, you know, don't look the right way or have a humpback and suddenly they might have some some physical or mental ailments and then they get end up tortured by the church and then they name other people so that they can be uh so that the torture would end and then those women get tortured and then they yeah. name people and you know and it, it various like there is a reality to that. I mean, you know, yeah. modern historians do. I mean, there is a, there is more complexity there than than you know was kind of aware than people were aware of in 1922. It, it, again, it holds up pretty well for something that's almost 100 years old. Beyond that, just the effectiveness of the presentation, just the again, this is fucking gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's a woodcut. You know, there's like a moving woodcut towards the beginning of the film. Oh my god! That's one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in a movie ever. (laughs) You know, the time they must have took to put that together. Right. The only thing is, it's kind of covered in a little bit more smoke. But I, you know, I really wanted like a really long sequence of just kind of getting to look at that. You know, it's it's a gorgeous piece of film, and like the 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 model that he does early on of the the spheres, Mm -hmm. the planets and the spheres, and this is the ring of fire and all this sort of thing. And then he brings it back at the end, and it's like we no longer believe that there's a god sitting in the tenth sphere of of heaven, but we have our own, you know, kind of issues that we're, you know, that where where authority figures are still not kind of treating people with respect. And it is like this really powerful, like argument that he's making here but again beyond that just like just how gorgeous everything is here like all yeah. the you know the all the makeup all the you know the, the director himself is stars as the devil <laughs> and, you it's know, one of the best looking film devils ever one of the like... best looking film devil, devils ever and like it is kind of like literally a demonic figure like motioning with broad strokes towards people and getting them like come kiss my ass kiss me on the buttocks you know um come i will give you every everything you desire i mean it is it is this very you know kind of overt 
you can, you've seen countless comedic versions of this, mm-hmm. and so it does kind of play as a slight bit of kind of sardonic comedy. Well, um, it but, it is uh, poking at how silly those beliefs are. Like it's yeah, just yeah, it's, it's it's definitely making fun of it. No, 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 it is. It's also really evocative and really effective because yeah. it is really well done, and so you can kind of see both how this seems silly and and ridiculous, but it also feels like something that yeah, like people actually believed, and people actually still do believe, and he, and he even connects that into you know people with the same kind of mental illness, which the mm-hmm. mental illness model of this is a complicated situation, et cetera, et cetera, but now people believe like oh i saw some celebrity come in i saw a doctor come in as opposed to the devil and so we right the the image changes the thing that we see kind of coming into our to our lives changes as our sort of cultural reference change and as the things that we're kind of frightened of change but also it's the same phenomenon and like connecting yeah. this kind of like portraying this kind of medieval superstition to the then modern day and then drawing the direct parallel between them again like i'm not saying this is like incredibly sophisticated stuff but it's pretty sophisticated stuff particularly for a film like this early you know this is this is really swinging for the fences and i think it wins on almost every on almost every level yeah i mean when you when you look at so so this is coming from a european country where at this point the church wasn't as powerful as it used to be you know Uh, in, in a lot of cases that that was sort of true in europe at this point this film did not do this did not play well in america at the time like this was basically like nope this it ain't showing up in america in no. the 60s right like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like no we ain't letting us in uh-uh boy they even, they even cut it down they cut it down by to like i think like 74 minutes in the full version like that five so yeah they cut 30 minutes out of this and it's like there's nudity in this. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's tasteful. It's but you know, there's a lot of you know. Let's let's be clear here. There's a lot of excuses to show like uh, Swedish women disrobing, and you get to see mm-hmm. their backs, and you know, like you know, kind of titillating, and and you know, and, but there is some like full on nudity. It's just kind of shrouded in shadow, so you can't right. really see anything. But like this is pretty you know risque stuff. You know, this is for, for the time, especially downright lurid. Like it's. Yeah, I know. And, and not just with the sex, like oh yeah, the, oh, the, the gore, torture the torture and the gore and stuff. Yep. Even even the suggested stuff is like, ugh, I don't need to see that. It's it's amazing because it's separated in different parts. Like it'll start with a scholarly sort of dissertation about, okay, here's where we came from, and here we here's where we are now, and then it will give you dramatic recreations of the stuff it was talking about, mm-hmm. and so. At one point, they're talking about how a witch trial uh, happens. So they show you the witch being accused, being brought to trial, being tortured, and getting a confession, and then being punished. When they go into the torture sequence, they sort of coldly and clinically show you all the torture devices. And very slowly, too, they're like, here's a guy pulling these tongs off the wall. And here's what these tongs do. Here's where they go. And you can see what's going to happen. <laughs> right. And and that, that torture device with the uh, with the legs where they got them in wooden splints. And then they yep. they pound the fucking knot down in, or whatever uh, into the middle of it to spread their legs and shit. And yep. it's like, oh, my God. Early on when they're showing like the witch's coven and she's, you know, they're, they're brewing up like potions and shit. It's like one witch comes in with a bundle of hay and inside the hay is uh, some parts of a dead body they pulled off the gallows. And it's like a thieves 
arm is like she smells it and is like, ah, oh, a little too ripe. This might not work for the potion. And it's right. like it's a hand, and she pulls a finger off it, and it's like it looks really good. It looks kind of real. No, it does very, very. I mean, you know, and and you know, who knows? Who knows where they got that? What's just to, well, I mean, you know. at one point they're shown, you know, pulling like a snake and frogs out of this pouch for a potion or whatever, and mm-hmm. although. Uh, did notice like there is like one harsh cut like she takes one of the frogs and she's gonna drop it into the like the boiling water then there's a hard cut where the frog's suddenly not there anymore it's like oh she dropped it in there wink wink right. so you know they got the Italian director's beat where they weren't <laughs> throwing animals into like boiling pots of water and shit but uh yeah yeah no but um yeah you're right about like kind of the torture sequence stuff because there's a there's a full sequence which is just like demonstrating how this mm-hmm. torture stuff worked and I mean you know it is it is lurid and it is, you know, kind of like, you know, you know, like meant to kind of shock the audience and kind of give us a, that sense of frisson. But I think there's also this, you know, it, it, it's, it's clinical, it's detached. I mean, mm-hmm. it is like, we're going to show you the rack. We're going to show you like how people were like bound to this thing. And then we're going to show you, you know, the, the line where the, the rope leads to the pulley. And then, you know, the mm-hmm. pulley is, like, connected to a guy with a lever. And then we're going to watch him, like, pull the lever and then, like, go back down the pulley. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, super well shot. It's really effective in terms of, like, demonstrating the exact thing, the mechanism that was actually used here. You mentioned the, the sequence there. So there's an extended sequence for an old woman who is living with a, a family mm-hmm. and who is suspected of being a witch. And because the, the, the man of the house is dying and apparently like they have some reason where they think she's a witch and they bring her in and they torture her and she's like, obviously not a witch. She's just an old woman and she was hungry, you know? Yep. Um, but uh, they bring her in and they start torturing her and there's an extended sequence where they torture her and then she just like gives up everybody that she just doesn't like. And that's like the whole, because in the film makes it very clear, like anybody put to this situation you would do it i would do it everybody would fucking do it yeah they go is it not so yeah Yeah. exactly um and the uh but but then like later in the film and this is where it kind of reminded me a little bit of the orson welles effort fake is you know like towards the end they cut back to the actress and the, the 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 director christensen is saying like while we were shooting this, she said, "Oh, I actually have actually like seen, seen the, the devil." devil. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like you know, holy shit! Like you know, he's not only breaking the fourth wall; he's using it with his own actors, with his own performers. Like in that moment of saying, mm-hmm. like you know, and he has footage of you know, presumably. I mean, it's silent, so who knows? Like, I mean, it would, it would be fascinating to actually get to see like all the raw footage they shot for this, with the ability to kind of like read their lips, or if they, you know, it would be, you know, it's just it's it's. Uh, this thing where the film like breaks its own reality as a way of demonstrating its thesis even more clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, you know, we've got this booklet that was that, you know, she, she gave us this booklet of someone who says like, I saw the devil and that's on, that's for sale in 1922. That's yeah. like, in, a for sale today. Right now you can, you can, you can go buy this and it's like the, the exact same fucking shit, you know? And it is like, yeah, no, this is, I, I completely understand. And it's, and again, the guy is like the, the, the film is very sympathetic towards her. It is not treating her as a kind of ridiculous figure for believing this. Obviously he has enormous respect for his actors. That's mm-hmm. something that kind of comes across, you know, over, I think that's something that's also like useful to note whenever there are kind of like extended torture sequences in a movie. It's like, no, we didn't actually do this. We, we really respect our actors you know, <laughs> but, 
you know, there is there's even a moment where one of the younger actors that one of the younger actresses, you know, like there's a shot where it's like she starts like laughing on camera because of, mm. she sees something silly, and it's like, yeah, no, there's there's a real, you know, there's a real peek behind the curtain on this as well, and it just it just like adds so much to the texture of the film. Like again, this is this is one of the best films I've seen in years. Um, I am really, yeah, really great. happy with this. Um, this 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 shoots all the way at the top of my my uh, list, and I will definitely be rewatching this at some time. Uh, this year for sure every everything about this is really good i mean you, you can't fault it for it's like uh it's 1922 outlook on uh mental illness when it's pretty fucking progressive for 1922 anyway <laughs> and right let's be clear here it is more sophisticated than the version of mental illness we saw in joker which was mm-hmm. nominated for 11 academy awards right now yeah so, so I mean, despite the fact that it fails on some fundamental levels and understanding how mental illness works, it's really perfectly fine for 1922 and better than uh, films made today. For where it does fall down on mental illness, it still has the central kind of thesis that, hey, in societies where women are treated as second class citizens, this shit happens. And it argues that accusations basically come down to demonizing women who, you know, desired agency or held some power that men or other women wanted. And yeah, so they accused you, you them could, of being witches. You could be an old crone and be threatened, but the, but the young and pretty were also threatened. And a mm-hmm. lot of that was, you know, and it says like somebody wanted her and then, you know, somebody didn't want him to have her. And like these religious authorities are going to do what they've got to do. They're going to trick who they have to trick in order to, to make, uh, to make things happen. And oh, how they get the confession of the younger woman where, yeah. you know, don't you feel like the devil poking you in the back? And she's like, no, no. And like, it, it's really kind of horrific too, where, because, what they do is, you know, they strip her of her dignity first because they have her disrobed. So it's like yeah. she's got to confess naked. And then they're like, don't you feel the devil poking you in the back and stuff like that? And the and the fat priest fucking, he's like distracting her while the other guy comes back and stabs a needle in her back. And it's like, oh, yes, I can feel it. Like, it's this torture gaslighting combination thing. <laughs> and it's just, it's fucking disgusting. And... And I in the film, of course, like you're saying with with the old woman, where it breaks the fourth wall, it basically makes the point that even in that day and age, people still believe this shit, and that hasn't changed today. Like it still happens today in our modern society, and of course, in countries where women are treated as second class citizens and abused on a regular basis includes uh this country yeah all the countries yes. yeah no this is this is pretty amazing i i actually regret that we've um did not say at the beginning of this like go go see this film yeah it's, you know it's worth seeing blind i mean i did kind of get to see it fairly blind I had kind of glanced at the Wikipedia page and I was kind of like, okay, yeah, I kind of know what I'm getting into. And I did not know what I was getting into this. Yeah. Is... I mean, you, you get to, you get to discover that the Egyptians believed it in the concave earth. So uh, there, there you go. Uh, you, you get to see the devil jacking off with a butter churn <laughs> several times. That was, that was definitely a moment, you know, where it's like, <laughs> you know, we got to strip this woman naked and then cut to devil and butter churn. Definitely moving those hands up and down. And it's like, I wonder, I wonder if they, yeah, they definitely knew what the fuck they were doing on this one. This it's is, like, at what point, there's, like, there's, there's definitely, you know, if there's one thing that I'm gonna kind of just leave aside on this, this film knows exactly how horny it is, and that yeah. is pretty <laughs> horny. <laughs> oh, no, there, there, there's some downright, you know, 
witches who are down to fuck with devils you know oh, like yeah yeah, there, yeah there's a couple scenes where they're like hey we're having a devil fuck party right now <laughs> we're having a devil fuck party <laughs> who's the devil oh just the writer director you know how that goes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh well you know oh there's gonna be a fuck party with the devil oh who are you casting as the devil oh um i thought i'd take that role yeah yeah i thought you know uh i'm gonna um i have praised this film to high heaven and uh we're yeah, it's entirely possible there was some uh, manipulation and some kind of Einstein bullshit happening behind a little the scenes ju- on this, you know. He's pulled like, a little Jess Franco in there, just yeah. threw himself in his own film full of titties. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there, there could be some, there could be some inappropriateness. <laughs> let's just put it that way. But um, you know, again, he does, he does include the little bits of uh, the actor, the actresses talking, you know, in the in the film, yeah. and you know, if that's representative, it seems like it was a, you know, like reasonable shoot and you know that people were people got something out of being in the film so you know like i don't know i didn't i, 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 would, see... I would like to look into the details of the production yeah see... i didn't i didn't see any stories that said oh <laughs> yeah the the, the director <laughs> he walks slash... in with an encorged horse cock yeah like <laughs> no he he was really a method actor he came in with like a fucking ram's horn on his penis in every <laughs> shoot or like you know like no uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> this torture sequence is not going to be realistic unless it includes my semen in it. So, you know, <laughs> hold still. No, there's uh, that one scene where, like the the priest is like the young priest gets uh, tortured. He gets his uh, he gets his back whipped by the other guy. Yeah. And you get a shot of like the his back, you know, as he's like putting his robe back on. And it's like mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, you know. There's some again pretty. Uh, yeah, it's nothing that we kind of look at today and kind of think like, oh, that that you know, that's amazing makeup. But like, it's it, it's effective. It looks phenomenal, and I think partly that's where kind of like looking back at that era and kind of realizing what it is, and probably just because like it actually it just works. It actually looks because they don't have the budget to do like a Fangoria style, you know, yeah, like, you know, like like prosthesis. Um, you know, it is it just looks like real violence has been done. You know? I mean, I mean, they've got throughout this beautiful set designs. The special effects are generally simple, but they're incredibly well done. Like, I mean, they use uh, that one point where the witch goes up into a dream castle, mm-hmm. and she and she has these coins given to her by the devil, and then they're taken away in a reverse shot. Yep. It looks great. It looks um, great. It's clearly just they just reversed the film. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah, like but it. It looks it looks really good. Like it actually yeah. is effective at what it does. There are a lot of like process shots of like sort of ghost images that are superimposed on. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to talk about that effect in the trivia. Yeah, go ahead, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, but uh, also you know they even have they even have stop motion in this at one point. Yeah, there, there's this like little devil thing that rips open the bottom of a door and steps out and says, "Hey," and then you know, <laughs> also you know. Uh, some of the humor of it, although it's still gross, like uh, where where the old witch uh, she confessed that she gave birth to many of Satan's children on Earth, and there's there's a sh- shot of her giving birth to like these large demon children crawling out of <laughs> like, her, like like ten year olds crawling out of her yeah. with like little demon horns, and you know, like in this kind of like half light, so you can't quite see, but they definitely, you know, and again, it's ridiculous, but it's expressionistic rather than silly you know like yeah yeah and i mean the the scene with the demon fuck party before they get down to fucking they have the like the baby boil where it's like unchristian children they they just put them in the pot and they have this like really realistic looking baby that they just 
plop right into the pot. Right in the pot. Yep. Yep. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I love this film. It's so good. Yeah. Um, so uh, director Benjamin Christensen originally planned to write the script with the help of a historical experts, but that plan fell through after he discovered that most of the experts he had in mind were against making the film. Apparently <laughs> they didn't, they didn't want to like talk about this shit, I guess. Uh, oh, wow. Or maybe, wow. maybe they didn't like his like uh, slightly feminist agenda either. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they went like, you're going to turn my, you're going to turn my scholarly work into a fuck party. What the yeah. fuck is going on here? <laughs> So even though most of this was interior studio shots um, because he felt the actors' performances would be best influenced by dark and ominous atmosphere, apparently, most of the film was also shot at night, which yeah. was almost unheard of at the time. Uh, and here's one of the most impressive special effects, at least in a technical sense. To achieve the scene in which the witches are flying over the roofs of the town, uh, Christensen and his camera man, uh, Johan uh, Ankerstjern, Photographed the miniature town, and uh, so they they build each house with about two meters in height. So they build a little miniature set here on an enormous turntable, which operated manly and took the strength of twenty men to operate. Um, oh yeah, then several costume actors were photographed on broomsticks against a black background to make the heavy costumes ripple in the wind. Christensen uh, brought in an airplane motor. Uh, a total of seventy-five witches were photographed, each individually. And a special optical printer was built by uh, Anker's Jern to put them together. Only about three or four appear on the screen at one time. Construction of the model town was decided upon after test footage proved the original idea of shooting from a movie, tra a movie train was a bad one. As too many modern structures, not to mention telephone poles and wires, were unavoidable. So, yeah, so they basically just had to recreate a medieval town because they couldn't shoot outside. Um <laughs> But apparently the test footage survives. I love, I love our, I love the idea of like our film just isn't good enough to go outside in the, in the night. <laughs> what are we gonna do? I know, I've got really simple idea, guys. We're gonna get seventy five witches, and we're gonna film them in this insanely complicated process. We're gonna build a little medieval village. Well, how little? Uh, we're gonna need like twenty guys, like twenty guys to rotate it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I wonder how many shots they had, how many times they did that shot, like how many takes on that. And like, this is this is like a super like weird abstract movie that's like about witches. It's like this like documentary essay that this one guy gets to make, and you do like wonder. Where what were the money people saying at this point? Like, you what, know. what were they telling the twenty guys they had rotate the fucking town? Right. Some guy standing. Okay, this is where you're going to rotate the town, and what you got to visualize, guys, as you're doing this. There's going to be witches. These guys have never seen a special effect shot like this. Nobody's seen a special effect shot like this. You know, and the, the, the guys down the bottom is like, yeah, what the fuck ever. Like, how many chronars are we getting for this shit again? Hold on, hold on. You're, you're going to pay me to stand here and rotate this thing. All right, fine. <laughs> That's all I need to know. Where's the Carlsberg, motherfucker? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the uh, 1968-76-minute version of Haxon, you know, the, the American version, uh, was narrated by William S. Burroughs with a soundtrack featuring Jean-Luc Ponte. Uh, so it was like a jazz soundtrack, apparently, like stuck on this. 
and I want to see that version because I I, I would be really into just seeing just hearing William uh, William S. Burroughs in nineteen sixty eight going, yeah, and this is where you know we're going to torture a bunch of people. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you got to be there. You know that woman had it coming, like smoking a cigarette the entire time. You know, like yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah that woman's got it coming. All right, <laughs> you see, you look see at, that whore. Yep, yep. <laughs> you kiss that devil butt. <laughs> the film was very obsessed with like kissing devil butt. Like we get they talked about it and then they showed it like three times. Yeah, but it's shown in illustration, and then you see it like an acting in real yeah. life. It's like you know the devil sitting there, and he's like, "All right, here you go." He bends right over, and then people yeah. come up and like just kiss him right on his butt. It's like you know. Yep, this is this is what the devil makes you do. This is the thing. <laughs> I expected a fart noise, and then I remembered. Oh, yeah, it's the silent movie. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, first, the first bit of uh, <laughs> the first foley work in film history is a devil work fart. In film history is a devil fart. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a, that would be a monumental first, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's blazing saddles. <laughs> Oh shit! Uh, the Swedish Film Institute has carried out three restorations of Haxon. Um, so, uh, in 1976, there was a tinted photochemical restoration uh, again in 2007, and in 2016, the t- uh, tinted digital restoration for dramatic scenes uh, that use wording that was often very different from the inner titles of the original 1922 version. There, there's like just like stone cold great fucking criteria and releases of this that you can get that are and then I, honestly i think uh the one i watched on youtube was the swedish film institute one of their restorations yeah. so yeah looks yeah, great it, it was for free on on uh, youtube so yeah it, yeah it looked phenomenal so and my version had was swedish subtitle was swedish titles with like english uh, same one so, yeah. yeah same one i watched <clears throat> all tinted red for the most part. Yeah, for like, the most part. Yeah, you had like, uh, when you had like interior scenes, it was like tinted blue. Then exterior scenes were like generally tinted, like kind of sepia, yellowish kind of. Right. Yeah. Then, like anything with the devil was red. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't really have box office stuff for this. Actually, both films, it's like in kind of, it's, it's, there's been like deep conversations, apparently conflicting conversations about how well these films did at the time. And how well they've done overall, um, but uh, yeah, unless we got anything else to say about these other than they're fucking great and watch them. Um, watch either of them before Joker. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what are we doing next time, Daniel? We've done Caligari. Uh, we're not doing Doctor Mabusa the Gambler. We've done Haxon. So uh, what we've got up here? Whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> uh, Nanuka the North. Yeah, let's uh, skip covered that. wagon. Let's skip that one. Okay, uh, covered wagon is the uh, the first western I saw on the list. Um, okay, a few years after the invention of the western. If you want to do that one, I'd love to do a western. We're going down with that. Yeah, is the Iron Horse is that a western as well? I'm assuming it is because that sounds like it's a train movie of some sort. But... Could be. Accent. Oh, Safety Last. That's um, Harold Lloyd. Okay. What was the other one we were looking at? The Iron Horse. Iron Horse. Greed is like really long. It's supposed to be really fucking good. I think Sherlock Jr. is a Buster Keaton. Okay. That's John Ford. Oh, okay. Um, 
one of the early John Ford westerns. So yeah, if you want to do a covered wagon and um, Iron Horse, I'd be down for that. That sounds good. I'd be yeah. Let's do that. So we did horror this week, and we'll do westerns next week. Yeah, and then maybe Paddleship Potemkin after that. We'll see. Yeah, and uh, see if we can get Jack on for that because he wants to yeah, jump on for that one. So wants to be on for yeah. That one, so. Uh, so yeah, Daniel, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Daniel Lee Harper, uh, mostly talking about uh, terrible people doing terrible things. Uh, Nazis, mostly, because that's uh, what I follow in my... my the, <laughs> I have a day job, and I have this, which is my relaxation. And then in all my spare other time, I talk about how to fight Nazis. Uh, and I also do a podcast. If you don't know about mm-hmm. that, I do a podcast because I don't speak German. Because I don't speak German, uh, which you might have realized when I mispronounced all those names earlier. Uh, 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 but yeah it is about uh you know uh white nationalism and how much bullshit it is so go check that out that's not com. and uh, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find our apple podcast facebook and youtube links join the facebook group that way you can stay up to date on what's going on and you can you know give your two cents as well throw in some conversation make fun of us tell us how great we are give movie suggestions all that good stuff you know uh, we're always open to that always look forward to new people um throwing in their two cents uh it makes this podcast a lot more fun or well sometimes it does you know if you're not commenting on youtube <laughs> basically yeah everybody except for the you the youtube commenters uh make our yeah uh, you know except for a few like good youtube commenters uh, we right, don't want right, to right. disparage them but most of them are either crazy or don't understand what they're even watching and they're just yeah, like yeah yeah <laughs> uh but yeah thank you daniel thank you guys for listening and uh we will see you guys next time for some westerns bye-bye good. cheers
You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.